if you're in youth group, you know what the slide means. We've kind of been talking about it a lot. Uh, we have been specifically thinking about the seasoned season of Advent, uh, going through these specific themes, which are um, sort of outlined here, hope, preparation, joy, love, and adoration, as we anticipate this Christmas season. Had it not been for the unique circumstances of this year, I don't think that we would consider the deeper meaning of this time. What does it mean to find ourselves once again because of the pandemic and the shutdown, in a state of hopelessness, feeling of plateau, and general ambivalence during a period that's supposed to be celebrating. I don't know. And I wish we could find a simple solution or a word or phrase that might just make all of us just a tad bit happier and more excited about life. And as I was writing this quite late last night, I struggled to find words to share with all of you this morning. I prayed for our church, our different gatherings, as we spent time in one another's company and slowly I found some words. And I hope that they can be of some encouragement. In this month of December, let us consider a very simple truth, that the promise of the birth of the Messiah was foretold through the entire First Testament and fulfilled through the first passages of the Gospel accounts, each of the Gospel accounts. Today we'll look through Genesis 3.15, where God pronounces the first curse upon the serpent and powerfully promises the coming of one who will bruise the head of the serpent. Then we'll hop a few thousand years to Isaiah, who prophesied the characteristics of the one who is to come. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Finally, we will look at the name that has become so familiar to each of us at some point in our individual lives. And it's probably the reason we're all here today. Of course, the question of how does the name of Jesus bear any significance in our life today? How have we considered this name that was anticipated for so long has now become so common in our dialogue? Have we thought about that? And if we have, does that change the way we pronounce the name of the almighty God? Before I pray, I want to offer this. What if everything that we have experienced this year, which is according to the will of God, can only be understood, accepted, and resolved through Jesus? What if the ambiguity of everything can be found in realizing that the name of Jesus, wonderful counselor, is the only one we can hold on to? when all else doesn't seem to make sense. Please bow your heads with me. Dear Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, we come before you in awe of the fact that we can even pronounce these names and we have knowledge of them. 
I pray that as we uh, look at the different passages and consider the deep darkness of this world as a result of sin, but the beaming light that continues to shine in our lives, in our hearts, though invisible, and in the lives of others. May we be focused for the rest of the 30 to 30 plus minutes that we're gonna be discussing. And may we be moved as a church to continue the work that we are already doing. Be with us in your omnipotent name, we pray, amen. So I remember going for a walk in the woods around my campus after my freshman year. It was a hot spring day right after finals and I decided to enjoy the last moments of the beauty of nature around my campus before leaving for the summer break. As I walked, I became a little bit more aware of the sounds of leaves rustling. Now, leaves rustling in the fall is a warm feeling of delight, pumpkin spice everything, and just calm. But in the heat of a sunny spring day, leaves rustling meant snakes. So many snakes everywhere. They slithered across the gravel road as I avoided stepping on each of them in the very last moment. I was alone in the woods and I was very uncomfortable. Sure, some of them were garden snakes, so not poisonous, but there were bigger snakes near the creek. And as I walked through the trail, it was, you know, uh, paralleling a creek um, right beside. I walked fast, very fast, almost sprinted down the rest of the trail. I didn't lift my head once and kept looking at the ground to see if I could navigate the next uh, creature. After that day, I decided to never walk on the trail on a hot day by myself ever again. This natural disdain for snakes, slithering creatures, venomous beings originates in the very first chapters of the book of Genesis. And as Sarah read for us just a few moments ago, Genesis 3.15, I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you, the serpent, will strike his heel. God is speaking to the serpent. And this hostility, this antagonism between the serpent and the woman is the ongoing tension between humankind and the agent of evil. Whether it's the symbolism of a creature like a snake or an act of evil against one person or between two different people. Whatever it is, there is an agent of that evilness which lurks and creates hostility between us and another person or us and nature. Ultimately, this tension separates us from that, from him who is holy and divine. But notice this. In the midst of a curse, there is a promise. Yet her offspring, her child, the woman's child will strike the head, will bruise the head of the serpent or the agent of evil. The name is still unknown to the woman, the mother 
but her offspring will be physically affected by the agent of evil at the heel. There will be a mark of suffering, pain, but it will not be detrimental. Of course, we know that when God foretold this curse upon the serpent, he foretold the coming of one, still unnamed, who would cause the agent of evil to experience a serious shakeup with serious repercussions. The, at the time, unnamed one would experience humiliation before thousands, would be whipped with nails, would shed blood through his death on the cross. And all of that would still be considered a strike on his heel. But before this becomes an Easter sermon, <laughs> let's go back to the prophecies of the First Testament. Why doesn't God just tell us straight up there and then that this would be Jesus, that he would be the most divine God? Why would he keep it a mystery? Perhaps so that Isaiah, inspired by the Holy Spirit, might imagine the names of the promised one when he wrote, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. Let's look at each of these and see if we recognize these characteristics from our previous readings this semester. Wonderful counselor, one who would listen, comfort, and console. And I think Gary actually spoke to us a little bit about this uh, for the Thanksgiving sermon. Jesus would take upon himself the role of therapist to the people who suffered injustice faced fear, struggled physically and spiritually to find hope and meaning. He offered physical healing and spiritual restoration. He welcomed people as they were. He was attentive to the needs of every person, patiently fulfilling that which they yearned for. With the young adults, we have been looking at the Gospel of Mark. I was especially touched when we read about the woman who suffered from bleeding for 12 years, who by touching the cloak of Jesus believed that she would be healed. She was addressed by Jesus and commended for her faith. In the midst of a crowd, Jesus knew that there was one who sought healing and he waited for the moment when she reached out towards him and immediately he healed her. Can I get a volunteer to read Mark 5? Anybody wants to unmute themselves? I will do it. Thank you. Yes. Um, just the the part on the slide? Yeah, yeah. Uh, just like the bottom paragraph? The whole thing. Okay. Oh. So this whole slide. Do you oh, see this whole slide. Yes, I can read that. I am literate. Okay. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And 
And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Thank you, Rebecca. Of course. So we know that Jesus is not among us in flesh, but I do believe that he speaks to us. He speaks peace into our lives through different people. Are we attentive to those words of comfort and encouragement? Have we expressed appreciation for those who listen to us? I'm literally just taking from what Gary has said. I'm remembering that now. And if we are seeing someone in our lives to whom we can come to and express our desire for healing, have we approached those people? But have we also approached Jesus? Have we reached out to touch his clothes? He has already healed us, but he waits for us to discover this healing in due time. And that is the mystery of our life. Wonderful counselor, mighty God and everlasting father on one slide, Isaiah boldly proclaims the deity of Jesus. The deity of the child, the offspring, who is God. Which means that That child was there in the beginning, present at the creation of the world. The coming child was there when God pronounced the curse upon the serpent. He knew that he would be the offspring, the child whose parents could find no place to spend the night. The vulnerable child who was born in the murkiest of places. He who created the planets, the stars, and the moons, universes, and galaxies offered himself to come to earth and connect that which had been broken within our communities, our families, and in our individual lives. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And the last name, the Prince of Peace, it's interesting that the royal title is the last in the list of four names. So you can see the Chronicles of Narnia. I grew up watching and reading that a lot. So when the four siblings receive crowns and titles which acknowledge their noble character traits formed through the book, C.S. Lewis is alluding or was alluding to the crowns of the saints, the ones that those who believe will receive. So when we think about it, I'm not sure that any of us, despite some of the good things we do on this earth, would receive title Prince of Peace or Princess of Peace. We are peaceful people, hopefully. We don't fight a lot. We are peacekeepers. But we cannot claim to be heirs of peace. However, we do know who the Prince of Peace is. We know that in the midst of political and social turmoil, the child grew up to be a man who stood as a pinnacle of all peace. And right now, that which separates us from one another based on different political beliefs or that which separates the church from the rest of the world because of religious differences, all of these separations create warfare whether it's verbal or physical, which can only be overcome if we acknowledge that the peace we desire and long for is only possible through the endowment 
of peace from the Prince of Peace. He carries it in his name. And I just want to quickly pray all of these names that we might remember them. Heavenly Father, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, we remember these names and we praise your name because we also know the name of Jesus. It has become known to us through the gospel narratives. We thank you that that which is a mystery became revealed to individual people and eventually became revealed to all of humanity. May we never forget how long it took and how many years and centuries and empires and kingdoms it took for us to realize, to come to know the name of Jesus. We continue. So it's interesting that in the beginning of human history, the Bible records that the, that the prophecy, so in Genesis 3.15, the prophecy would involve a human who would destroy the serpent. Then I, Isaiah identifies that human would not only be human, he would also be God. For unto us a human child is born, unto us a son of God is given. And finally, the angel Gabriel tells Mary that she would name him Jesus. The mystery of history up to that moment was revealed to a young woman. I don't think we ever truly comprehend the immense richness and simplicity of the scripture narrative, but we can marvel at it. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. And as Rebecca sang this morning, would Mary have immediately recognized that Jesus, her son, is the child of whom Isaiah prophesied? Was that prophecy of the ancient times pronounced among the communities of the Jewish nation? Or were those prophecies forgotten? Mary believed in the words of Gabriel and began to anticipate the birth of her son. But I want to consider this a little bit more. Was the prophecy of the coming Messiah forgotten in the period between the first and second testaments? Based on my research, it does not seem so. However, as they waited, the idea of the wonderful counselor, the Prince of Peace, evolved in the imagination of the nation of Israel. And Jesus in flesh was not recognized by those who were around him. For us, though, what does this mean? Even though we celebrate the nativity, we read stories of the virgin birth every year, I wonder if we have forgotten what that moment meant for all of history and all of the future. Have we forgotten that the prophecies were fulfilled and that the reason why we can't seem to identify hope in the midst of a hopeless situation is because we doubt that peace is possible in this time? We doubt that peace is possible in a world characterized by ongoing war. If we are not at war with other countries, 
we are at war within our own country. And if we're not in a civil war, we are at war or in disagreement with our families, with our friends, with those closest to us. Have we forgotten that the Prince of Peace has already fulfilled what he has promised? The promises which were woven through each narrative in the First Testament. So we have talked about finding hope by remembering promises which were fulfilled. But what about tomorrow? Will we once again search for ways to combat our sense of unfulfillment, looking for resources which hardly bring us closer to peace, joy, and hope? Perhaps it all comes down to this, that we are living through mysterious times like the people in the Old Testament. But that's just kind of life. We wait for something to happen, not even knowing what. We seek happiness and stability, but we don't consider the past and the present. The past is what we have talked about this morning. It was already fulfilled. The great mystery of the name and identity of Jesus was revealed in Luke. And glory be to God. But what about now? Where do we find reminders of that? As visual learners and physical beings, we look around with our eyes to observe these reminders. And I think two come to mind, the natural world and young children. A few weeks ago, I learned about the lotus flower. I studied some of its unique biological structure, which allows it to withstand the murkiest environments and emerge pure, unblemished, and radiant. So when I say studied, I mean, I read about it. It's biological and chemical structure on Wikipedia. So not really studied, just read. The flower, as many of you perhaps know, grows in really dirty water. Every night, it submerges into the mud and reappears out of the mud the next morning, unblemished. Because it's coated with a waxy outer surface, it does not become tainted from the mud. Now, different religions and philosophies interpret the symbolism of this plant. Of course, as Christians, it's hard for us not to see the parallelism between the lotus and Jesus who despite the murkiness of our condition here on earth, stood in the darkest moment at the judgment of sin in Genesis. In that moment, he was full of compassion and grace to plant his seed upon the earth. Like the lotus flower that can remain submerged for many years before appearing out of the water, like the lotus flower that spreads its roots deep into the water. Jesus, who was with God at the beginning of all, rooted himself on earth. As centuries passed and prophets, kings, and individual people awaited his coming, he continued to deepen those roots through prophecies. And eventually he was born. He emerged. We see reminders of Jesus' humility and holiness in the flower, but we also see it in scripture when we read John 1. Does anybody want to volunteer to read 
It's verse 5 and then verses 9 through 13. Or have I put everyone to sleep? No, you definitely have not. <laughs> I can read it again. Thank you. Okay. Uh, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Thank you, Rebecca. Of course. So the light which came into the world is a child, gentle and vulnerable, untainted and holy. Jesus, like all of us, experienced months in the womb and was born. And we must consider the omnipotence of the season, that the mighty God of the universe came forth in the darkness of the night, was beheld only by a small group of people, but was glorified in heaven as the most high God. I think seeing children in a pandemic is one of the most unique things. Sometimes you get glimpses of them in the park or in the grocery store and it's like a moment of joy to hold on to. So when we see children, new life, baby pictures, we aren't aggressive towards these beings. As we consider the birth of children in this interesting time, does it give us hope? Does it serve as a reminder of the promises which were fulfilled through the birth of Jesus? And might we never give up the vision that if we have, if we have believed and received Jesus, we have been born as children of God. So maybe right now we do find ourselves in darkness, overwhelmed by hopelessness and grief for what this year has been. But the light shines in the darkness. The light continues to shine within each of us. How do we kindle that light in one another? How do we shine together? This is my last example. It's very visual. We do what we have been doing, gathering in small groups over Zoom or in person. In addition to being observers of nature, like flowers and human life, babies, let us also be readers. While remembering the promises which were fulfilled through the everyday simple things, Let's not give up our daily study and reading of the Bible. This season, yes, has been hard on all of us, but I think that there's one thing that has kept us very united as a church and as a community beyond this church. And it is the communal study of the scriptures, whether it's young adults or youth group or Awana, we are reading. And we, what's more important is that we're reading together out of everything that we can do at this time, I think that reading the Bible draws us together even closer and provides us with a sense of communal memory of the promises which were fulfilled through the birth 
life, and sacrificial love of Christ. Let's find a reason for celebrating even this. In a time when most have experienced tremendous hardship because of separation and isolation, we are so lucky to be together, spending the weekend in one another's company, whether it's Saturday night or Sunday night. Yes, sometimes it feels slightly awkward and there are a lot of silences. And it's really not, you know, the human to human experience, but still it's special. Together we remember the promises which were fulfilled through generations and by listening and understanding one another's interpretations, we begin to comprehend these prophetic fulfillments. Hopefully that ignites awe and wonder within each of us. And this admiration and honor and deep love for God develops as we come together. With rekindled hope and light, we pass through another season. Maybe we don't have all of the answers, but we do have a unity of language, of understanding and love for God and one another. All of the ambiguity of this year, I think can be found in realizing that the name of Jesus, wonderful counselor, is the only one we can hold on to when everything else doesn't seem to make any sense. So in conclusion, I was looking for something, you know, to tell all of you today, to teach all of you, but I think I want to encourage and commend all of you for being faithful, for gathering with the limitations, for desiring to be involved in one another's lives, for reading together, and for keeping that as an accountability. May that be the mark of this congregation that we read and we see and observe the goodness and the grace of God in our life as a community and in our life, in, in our individual lives. That's all I have for this morning. Please bow your heads and pray with me. Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Heavenly Father, We don't know what uh, things will look like in just a few months for Home of Christ 4. You are knowledgeable of the circumstances that we face as a congregation. And you have not turned away from our desire to know you, our desire to speak truth and our desire to love you and love one another. Encourage us in a time when nothing else seems to bring fulfillment anymore. 
fill our uh, group studies with inspiration and imagination so that we may cultivate such a community that is reflective of your attributes. May we be kind, may we be hospitable. May we uphold peace within our community and within our families. And may we continue to prepare for a season of celebration. May this year be as unique as it has been, even as we celebrate Christmas and show us ways that we can engage with the community beyond Home of Christ for whether it be with the sister churches or uh, with the city of San Jose and other respective cities in the area. May we be humbled by the coming of Christ and may we remember that the prophecy of old was fulfilled and there are yet other prophecies which will be fulfilled. We pray for the rest of the day. May we be filled with hope and joy in this season. In your name we pray, amen. All right. Uh, thanks to Zolia for the encouragement and the reminder that 